Hi there, thanks for joining. Welcome to the podcast Well Well with your host, Kelly Steckler. This podcast exists to help you on your healing journey so that you can live your most authentic and fulfilling life. Well Well features a mix of guests as well as personal stories and insights from yours truly as I discover my path towards healing. Thanks for joining as we dive into the healing experience. Let's get healing. I have Dr. Bob Bear with me, the host of the Recovery Crew podcast, a therapist and coach in Austin, Texas, and CEO of Deep Waters Recovery Network and Programs. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so today is all about couples coaching or the idea of a partnership in mm. general and how to navigate those deep, murky waters mm. that can sometimes be complicated. Mm -hmm. The reason why I feel so inclined to have you on to chat through this process is because I know that you have done a lot of work to help me and my boyfriend, Max, navigate our mm. own relationship. Yes, I'm really good at helping other people. Right. Do. Uh, disclaimer, I've had some wonderful, uh, not so great experiences, but I've also made some progress. Though. But that's so how you learn, right? Um, yeah, and I'm giving myself credit for making progress, but not having it all figured out. I love it. Well... <laughs> Again, thank you for coming on and sharing what you know, mm. what you've been helping other people with. So the idea of couples coaching, I know that you don't like calling it couples therapy. Yeah. And I'm and I'm curious to you the difference between couples therapy, couples coaching. Oh, it's it, you may not find it in the literature. It's just my own personal thing after 30 years of doing this stuff. It's um, you know, therapy has therapy and clinical uh, psychiatric and and pharmaceutical, these all kind of swim in the same waters that are based on the uh, diagnostic criteria in the uh, diagnostic statistics manual. Oh, all of that stuff just makes me kind of tight. And it's because for the most part, it's saying, here's what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And here is how I, the therapist, the psychiatrist, the can fix it. I, I know that no therapist would ever say that, but there is something in the system that uh, dis that can be in the hands of practitioners who maybe aren't doing their work uh, to can disempower uh, can disempower people who are trying to do the work. So that's you know coaching is a little bit more. Uh, I see. I do like psychodynamic coaching. It's a opportunity for people to. Uh, uh, to not necessarily what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. And mm. see, you know, you start to tell the story right. and see where the trauma is and start to do our own individual recovery. Um, see, that that's kind of the distinction I'm, yeah. I'm making. No, it makes sense. I think what's so interesting is that when you think about couples coaching or doing the work together, oftentimes it actually leads to you really having to do the work for yourself. It's almost like really having to dig because I think at the crux of like going to couples coaching or when you reach that stage, so to say, it's all about thinking of like, okay, what is my partner not doing? What are mm. they um, doing wrong? And really what I've learned is it kind of flips the script of you turning inwards, of you looking at yourself as a partner. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just a really interesting yeah, and even, even nugget that I've learned. Yeah. And you have learned very well. I'll just say you are like a good student, willing to do the work, um, you know, better than I was. Uh, and I can say things like that at your age, 
you know, for most people, the journey of looking within is it doesn't it doesn't occur to us, right? We look outside mm-hmm. and we see this shit happening. They're doing stuff that pisses me off. Let me fix this. And uh, to look within and say, you know, maybe I have a part in this is does not occur to us usually. And in regards to the idea of going into couples coaching, I think what's really interesting is also the communication aspect and also and also the awareness of having the awareness of understanding yourself and your partner and then being able to build that strong partnership and ensuring that you are communicating in the right way. Because I mm. think that that's what Max and I really struggled with is that we cared very deeply about each other. We wanted our relationship to be successful, but our communication styles were off. Yeah, the communications that you guys are doing great, but you were <laughs> and are so, but yeah, the communication style, most of our communication style uh, uh, in coupleships, when what coupleships uh, 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 poke at each other's unconscious wounds, it just by the nature of them, we are, it's the, it's the most difficult thing to do. And it is the most, uh, opportunity. It's the best opportunity to do healing because we can't heal the stuff if it, if we don't feel it. And we find unconsciously we find those places to poke, right? And you know, couples coaching is simply it's it's simple, but it's extremely difficult to start hearing what my partner has to say. <laughs> You're right. No problem, right? Okay. Most of the time, when people are in distress we get triggered. That's the word that uh, is used a lot. What what triggered means is my old trauma gets gets re-stimulated. And there, I can do two things with it. Run from it. You know, a cat just came into the studio and I was like, uh, it was like distracting and I ran from it. I could have just played with a cat. But that's not what we do a lot of the time. We're, we're like triggered and we want to get away from the discomfort. So, and that happens a lot in coupleships. And the the real thing that I like to do with couples and with myself in my relationships is uh, to learn how to actually listen. Have you heard about this advanced skill, actually listening to someone else? It is complex. It is very. <laughs> yeah, when I first it's, met. It's really hard. Yeah, when, when I first met you, it was like, it was more than complex. It was like, I haven't heard the, what, what, what the hell he had to say in months. Because what we're doing is planning our argument while the other person's saying what they're saying. It's like, so that I can like prove that I'm right. You know, no matter how beautiful of a human being like you, you're like this incredible person, right? And uh, it doesn't matter. We have stuff that we carry and it all gets like poked at in relationships. Well, and I think it just comes from an element just from personal experience of wanting to protect yourself. I grew up Mm. in an environment where, you know, I think it is easy to build that armor. And then when you feel like, you are put in a position where that is getting compromised. It's easy to go in defense mode. And then all of a sudden you just tune everything out. It got you here. It got, it got us all here. Whatever all these defenses that, uh, uh, that we put in the category pathology, possibly that, 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 that's, uh, that's a defense mechanism, right? That's uh, another one of those clinical words. And it's, well, yeah. And it got me here and now I'm making a choice. You know, anybody that comes toward, the work, uh, you know, I use uh, Harville Hendricks' uh, model. There's a book called Getting the Love You Want. If anybody wants to like launch into all this. I need yeah. to pause really quickly because this was a book that you recommended to mm-hmm. both Max and I. And for anyone who is curious about it, it has been the most instrumental mm. literature. I feel like that has helped us tremendously in just understanding ourselves a little bit better and where we come from as human beings and then how to work 
together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have some exercises at the end of the book. And it's just, I mean, icing it from the rooftops of anyone who <laughs> asks. Like I yeah. brought out my highlighters for it. It was just such a great read. Yeah. So sorry, proceed. No, no. That's So what, just off the top, what's the basic concept that you got out of it? So. I mean, of course I'll give you my. I was, <laughs> my, uh, was going to say, I'll, I'll refer back to the, to the expert, so to speak. But when I was reading it, I think one, it just helped to understand or just to have this type of push and pull feeling with your partner of lack of communication almost be normalized Mm -hmm. in the sense of it is okay. This does happen. This is typically why this has happened. It's because of your relationships in the past and then Mm -hmm. also running you through the Imago dialogue, which you have helped Max and I lean into more. And then I also think the exercises at the end of getting actionable tools Mm. to do together to help progress your relationship. Because I think oftentimes, you know, like it's the theoretical sense of, oh, if you listen to each other, it'll, things will work. And it's like, well, what does that actually mean? Like how in the heat of the moment. Can't we just all get along? Right. That's one style of therapy. Right. It's like. Let's just get along. In the heat of the moment, when you feel triggered, how do you step away from your normal response pattern and go down a constructive route? And I think that this book helps give you those tools. Yeah. Good student. How'd I do? <laughs> Great. As, <laughs> as, as always, it's uh, so the, you know, the Harville Hendricks model is a psychodynamic model. You said it, it's like my past relationships, my childhood history, all that stuff that none of us ever want to look at. There's no, Nobody I've ever met that says, hey, I've been waiting my whole life to feel the pain of my childhood. (laughs) You know, nobody wants to do that. And we unconsciously build uh, up ways where we don't have to. And if we can keep functioning, we're good until something as important as uh, like you guys. You guys really are a great team and it's worth working on, right? Because you you can see you're going to have to go one of two ways, uh, shut down and uh, just sort of. Uh, tough it out. I think my mom and dad did that really well. The toughed it out for uh, many, many years. Probably should have let each other go because they didn't have any support. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can either shut down or you can surrender, uh, which is you know, and I, I'm not good at it. I don't think that's been your mode of operation, Most right? Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're connected with a dude that that's not his first. But both of you have uh, see the beauty, and it. it's the same thing in recovery. We have to when we hit that wall, it, we move towards some community. So you know, you guys had the courage to say, uh, "I could use a little help here, a little coaching," and there is a solution. Once we do that, there's a, it opens up. The, the possibilities open up. Yes, we we have to learn, and it seems very mechanical. Do you, do you agree? The the I, yes, yeah, the dialogue model. It is. I think. It, at first, it's mechanical because it feels uncomfortable yeah. and a bit forced in a way. Mm-hmm. But then it does become more comfortable. And I think, you know, from personal experiences, like Max and I have found a way where it just naturally weaves into the next step or progression yeah. when there is some type of conflict. It feels unnatural because what feels natural is arguing yeah. and proving my point. And if I could finally get my partner to get my point, then we'd be fine. That's fine, uh, but it will, it will, uh, it's an endless loop. You're never going to get them to see it. Okay. The first step in getting somebody to hear me is to hear them. When I am in distress, I can't hear shit. 
All I can hear is my own argument about it. So the dialogue model essentially, uh, it, you know, you have to like set a time. All right, are you ready? Can we do this? Are you willing to have a, a dialogue with me? And then you give the other person a period of time to say their truth, even if it's all about you. You know, you sit down there with my partner and my partner tells me what's hurting, right? And I, have, I listen and what I do is mirror it back. It's very Rogerian. Uh, Carl Rogers was a... Uh, uh, psychologist who, uh, you know, it was all about just listening <laughs> and mirroring it back and caring enough about the person to shut the hell up for a few minutes and let the person know that I heard exactly what they said, not my paraphrase of it. So, so a person might say, you know, I was really angry when you uh, took my piece of toast out of the toaster, right? And that, okay. What I heard you say is that you're just uh, really bitchy this morning. You don't like the way I'm doing anything. Now that's not the dialogue. Right. That's my version of it. It's like me. so we have to like say it verbatim, which feels very mechanical at first, yeah. right? And it is it is crazy in doing this exercise how often you subconsciously change the narrative because everyone has their own truth or their own story of what yeah. the truth is. Colored by your trauma. Exactly. So when you do repeat it back. I would say oftentimes when Max and I have done this, we've gotten it wrong usually the first mm -hmm. time because the truth in our minds or our heads or what we're hearing yeah. is very different than what they said. And if you can keep breathing and not make it about, oh, I got it wrong and it's the end of the world, it's no, um, here's what I said. This is, and then you try it again. And then we, you do it enough and you start being able to actually hear the words. And it's advanced shit, man. I'm telling you, it's like nobody hears what other people are saying when we're in, when we're triggered. I do want to talk a little bit about the trigger itself because I think that there are different, I would say, I don't want to say like coping me mechanisms, but more so like resolution mechanisms mm -hmm. of people. There's some types of people who just want to figure it out right away. Like, mm -hmm. I don't care if we were screaming two seconds ago, but I want to, you know, figure this out now. Who are these people we're talking about right now? <laughs> Hand raise. <laughs> um, and then there are people who just completely retreat and they don't want to talk about it at all. They yeah. almost want to swipe it under the rug. So how do you how do you advise or coach people through when you are facing this trigger, what do you do next? How do you make sure that you are running through the Imago dialogue at a place where you can actually both meet each other halfway? Yeah, well, nobody wants to do it and it takes practice. That's why you got to find somebody that knows this thing. It's a, I consider it a community based non-clinical thing. I don't know, Har Harville Hendricks is a clinical guy, but it's a, the model itself is just uh, uh, getting real with each other. That's all it is. And it's handing the tools over to the couple rather than being this, uh, this person that's going to fix them, right? That's not what it is. It's like learning the tools of he healing each other because coupleships have the best opportunity to heal way better than any therapist or coach or or even a 12-step group because you're you're there with each other uh, with the opportunity to help each other heal from your childhood wounds. So yeah, we're going to, you know, some people are going to want to run. Some people are going to want to figure it out. The dialogue model, uh, what's the word? It uh, uh, mitigates that. It mitigates it because it doesn't matter whether you want to figure it out or not, or if you want to run, you're going to stay in there and you're going to repeat exactly what was said in the, because feeling heard I've heard, uh, I've heard that that's a pretty important thing for most of us. Yeah? I would say so. Yeah, it's like the whole thing. Right. We're all walking around wounded, uh, 
from childhoods uh, where we had loving parents. Everybody's from a pretty good family. Everybody raise your hand. I always do that. And then let's set that aside. There were times when you didn't feel heard, right? Is your child, well, yeah, there was that time when we all have that. And it's still in our bodies lodged there. And when we get really vulnerable, which is another word to say, committed relationships are vulnerable in, I'm exposing my all of my stuff. And it's going to bring up all of our childhood stuff and we'll project it on our on our partner. This this process mitigates that. So I'm going to listen to you. And then, the, uh, you know, one of the things at the beginning during the, the, um, the mirroring part of this process is that we invite uh, the person that's doing the sharing to say, and this reminds me of my childhood. And that's one of the things most, most folks forget to do, right? This, you know, this, this toaster situation reminds me of my childhood when I, I was trying to do my best in sixth grade and uh, this teacher, whatever the rest of that is, mm-hmm. right? And then we go back to the old wound. It sort of pulls pulls the projection off of our partner for a moment and have our partner repeat that. And essentially, they're saying, I hear that you got hurt. It is, right? it is such a huge shift when you hear your significant other on the other end explaining, it really upset me when you did this because yeah. it reminds me of my childhood when, and all of a sudden you realize it's a way bigger you know, it's it's almost a way bigger connection just than just the incident itself. Yes, it's it's an opportunity to heal, and then then it becomes after you do it for a while, it's like you can almost say, "Oh, what an opportunity!" That the most cliche therapist thing to say, "What an opportunity for growth," <laughs> but because it is. I mean, it's like this: I can heal from this old stuff that's been running me all this time. Here's another one. I'm not going to launch too far into this, but we are we carefully pick our our partners under under the uh, under the medication of oxytocin and our lower brain. Uh, you know, it looks like ah, she's nothing like mom. Give it six months, mom will show up. I'm gonna say, do you do you believe that your partner um, is tied to your either relationship with your parents or how they've interacted with each other? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's we're gonna you know go. When we're under that love thing, there would be no children if it wasn't for oxytocin. We can't get along with each other. Are you kidding? The love drug is the only thing that makes us get together and have, you know, it it keeps the species going. (laughs) That's an exaggeration, but it does help us get into relationship because most of us have a lot of wounds and we would not be able to even get into an intimate relationship if we weren't medicated a little bit by our chemistry. I think it's just a natural thing that happens to keep the species moving forward. And then when that starts to wear off, the honey, when the honeymoon's over, the, the way we say right. it in popular culture, right? When the honeymoon's over, then we're stuck with ourselves and each other and all of our combined shit, <laughs> right? And yeah. then two ways to go, leave, shut down, or get some help. And if you're, if you, if there's lots of different ways to do this. It's just the model that I use for myself and with clients is to, is to start that dialogue, right? And start reading the material because it makes a lot of sense after you get in there. At first, it sounds like I got to talk about my child, the inner child shit. Oh my God, here we go. What kind of corny stuff is that? And then once you get in there and you find, start finding freedom, uh, and, and, you know, one of here, here's the bad news. So I told you guys that I say it all the time. It's like, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You're going to want to run. That's true. 
Yeah. Yeah, you, it's uh, because you're going to start really feeling all that stuff that we have carefully had packed down. Yeah. 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 And I think it's to your point in past relationships, I think that's been a very natural response for me of, you know, when things get real, I leave. Mm-hmm. And so it has been an interest, an interesting shift in the sense that things have gotten real between Max and I. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was my natural response to leave. And I think. And you guys are negotiating out some pretty tricky stuff, just yeah. lifestyle so choices just li- in different yeah. cities and, and, and life experiences. Come, yeah. Right. And life experiences. Yeah. And so I think him even proposing of like, Hey, let's take a moment to lean into this. And I know mm-hmm. that he first suggested couples coaching in which I was resistant. And I think there was a part of me that was scared to uncover all of those layers yeah. and how they have tied into our relationship And so what is the best way to navigate couples where one person potentially is leaned into the idea of doing this type of work, the other person isn't? Because I think I get asked a lot by my friends about couples coaching. Mm -hmm. And I think a common response is, oh, that sounds amazing, but my partner would never want to do it. Mm -hmm. And so like, what are those, what do you do then if you, if you feel like you're not being met halfway to even doing the work? Yeah. That is a good one. <laughs> yeah, oxytocin gets us into situations that uh, uh, you know. One of the things I tell folks when they came when they come in is, uh, I'm not here to help you guys get together or stay together, which yeah. is a little bit of a shock usually. And I, I think I say it for a little bit of a sh- little bit of. Shock a, what are you smiling at me, Grace? You know I like to shock people or uh uh but but it's for it's for a good purpose it's because a lot of us think that the other person is going to get us there there's a, a sam keen uh said there's two questions that are most important one is where am i going and who's going with me and then that's kind of profound but not as profound as the punchline which he says don't get them out of order Many of us think that we're going to like get that right person to fix this discomfort that we have for our lives, right? So, um, uh, you know, maybe when we start detoxing from all of the, and one of the couples say, you know, I'm willing to do the work here, right? I'm willing to look at my childhood stuff and I'm willing to, and I want you to come with me. And all you can do is, you know, keep doing your own work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so here's the bad news. Sometimes we have to change our friends in recovery. It's it's kind of bad news. Uh, uh, if I'm on this path of recovering myself and I'm with a partner that's just absolutely not willing to do it, all I can do is love them for a point, to a point, for a while. Uh, then there's a point in time where it's like, hey, this is the path I'm on. Can, are we going to do this or not? Um, my experience is vulnerability breeds vulnerability. <laughs> You know, if, if it's supposed to be in, uh, uh, we all unconsciously want to heal. And uh, if we can do it in, in community in a place that's safe and safe uh, and uh, safe enough to get vulnerable without being shamed, it's sort of, um, a lot, in a lot of cases, if there's a commitment on one side, the commitment on the other side seems to uh, break loose yeah. in, in my experience. Yeah, what I have heard. Um, is that usually, like you mentioned, one, one, the other person either joins in the healing or it becomes very clear that there's, you know, potentially needs to part ways because one person is committed to healing themselves in an effort to also heal their relationship. And Mm -hmm. then I think it becomes very clear that 
if someone's also not, you know, meeting you halfway, then it's time yeah. to part it's ways. A, same thing with friends and family. When we start doing the work, we might have to look around at our life that we created unconscious in our unconscious state and realize that some of the folks around us are just wait a minute, this is not support for me. They're saying shaming things to me. They're like um, not uh, supporting me in my creative bliss. And, you know, it's okay for a while, but after the 94th time of uh, of uh, shaming me for going to my art class or what, whatever it is, uh, it might be time to, you know, let go. Um, yeah. If the emotional ties are too strong or you know, it's somewhat of an emotionally abusive relationship or it is hard to break away. I know there's not a one size fits all approach, but do you have any thoughts on how you can start to make those decisions to remove yourself from yeah. that type of relationship? Yeah. Well, reaching out to somebody in the community that's doing the work, they can, you can reach out to Kelly, Kelly, you can reach out to Kelly. <laughs> Uh, you'll get that information here at the end. Then she'll get you on the podcast um, to tell your story. But yeah, it's, sometimes it's a little bit of the Stockholm syndrome, right? We're like used to it and we stay there. It's like an elephant. You can tie tie his leg there for a while and get used to him. You take the if you take the take the chain off his leg, he'll stay there, right? We we have to get uh, awakened and given some permission. That's why, like in recovery, I say that I'm a recovering person often because if somebody needs help and wants to get out of what they're in, they know that they can, you know, I have some experience with that. You have some experience with this getting out of or choosing to live. Well, you have some experience in a lot of different relationship experiences in your past that uh, you can help help with. And what we, I think what we need to do is be willing to tell our stories like, uh, like right on here on Humania. Uh, yeah. Humanium. Absolutely. Um, uh, let's see. What else? Get the hell out of there if you're being shamed by anyone. Don't, don't uh, call me. I mean, I'll like talk to you. And yeah. there's many programs here at Deep Waters uh, Recovery for people that are ready to start living boldly from their own authenticity. And in coupleships, it's a, you know, if you're being uh, shamed verbally, if you're any kind of physical stuff, get the hell out of there. There is support. In regards to other tools that you work with couples on outside of the Imago dialogue, is there anything that comes to mind? I think I think what's been really great in working with you through my relationship with Max is I remember you saying something along the lines of, you know, my goal is for you to not be here coming to see me forever. Yeah. Like my goal is to teach you the tools so that you then have them in your tool belt so that down the line in the future, you know when to use them. Yeah. And then, you know, you can essentially um, progress throughout your relationship right. and because it's now not you've so, done the work. And it's not so mechanical anymore. It's exactly. just, I can hear you and let you know that I heard you. There's more to the dialogue model than just hearing too. It's also about validating it. Uh, it makes sense to me that you'd be angry. Mm -hmm. And then it's also about being empathetic and saying, I imagine you're you're like really feeling frustrated right now and, and hopeless. Um, I, I just want to let you know I hear that. And then you referred to uh, the behavior change request. There's yes. other tools too. I mean, you know, I don't have to just put up with your stuff. I can say, you know, I can ask for what I want. I want might not always get it, but we need to, once we start healing from that old stuff and we can start to hear each other, we can also say, uh, sweetie, do you think uh, you could put your dentures on the other side of the bed? I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> I remember there was a few times where Max and I were going do people to- people still have dentures? I don't even know. I, I don't know why that came. I'm, 
I don't know, <laughs> like retainers maybe? Yeah, I guess. Um, I, I do remember there were a couple of sessions where we went to you and we were going through the Imago dialogue and I remember asking like, this is great. Like I'm, I feel good that I'm being heard and that Max is being heard, but how do I get the change that I yeah. want? Like I was so also focused on the change of yeah. how do I make sure that Max sticks to a time of when he commits to coming home at a certain hour. I like that one. How do I get Max <laughs> to? I always like sentences. <laughs> how can I get that? See, that, I still how, have some work. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's all somebody's got to take the lead, though. Max is just a little more passive than you. I mean, yeah. so, and he's also a man who has a deep heart, man. Really and, does. uh, you know, we have to like lean into our strengths and let go of our control stuff. And, um, we all have, we all have that. And it's an opportunity. Once we do enough of this, we can trust each other to make some mistakes along the way too. Yeah. What a concept that is. Yeah. You know, when we're, when we're wounded in our childhood, we, we the thing that comes out of um, a trauma, the main product of, tra- of trauma is shame because mm-hmm. kids, uh, they, they, uh, they don't say, you know, like if dad's not coming home, he's drinking or whatever, or dad, dad's just working late, he's a workaholic, whatever it is, you know, we're waiting there at the door for three hours and, and he doesn't say, you know, dad's uh, doing his best. He's working hard. And no, the kid says, well, I guess he doesn't care. I, I, I guess I'm not loved or I'm not lovable. That, that's what kids do. Their whole world is about them and anything that kind of feels uncomfortable, they don't put the blame where it should be which is on you know distracted parents they put it on themselves and then we carry it into our and then we have these 94 different pockets of shame which turn into fear and then we start controlling the world around us to try to mitigate the fear yeah and then we get in relationship and it's right in our face we have to dismantle it a little bit at a time most of us won't even get to even a We'll get to a percentage of it, maybe to tolerate each other and maybe let that love come through. It's a it, it, it's a process, and uh, you know we come together. Uh, you know, I have this little model of. It, I'll tell you what, it helps if you follow a healthy model of building relationship. Now, this is something I have never done. I'm about to out myself here. I've, I, it's gotten better with each of my uh, adult relationships, but uh, this is useful for some people. I get some ahas out of this one. All right. So all right, I'm ready. All right. You ready? The first step in building a relationship is acquaintance, right? What's an acquaintance? Someone you just met. Yeah. Someone you just met at the coffee house. So a friend of a friend, hey, how you doing? Right. Next one is friendship, a different level, right? Kind of somebody I have some things in common with. I might do more than what Larry David says is like a stop and chat. I'm going to actually stop and chat on the sidewalk as opposed to just walk by. Right? Okay. Uh, yeah. Friend. Uh, and then the next level is bump, 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 commitment. Right? So it's a, it's a friendship that has a different level of showing up. Uh, I'm going to be here. Um, I'm committed to this even if I don't want to because I care about you. Right? The next one is intimacy. You heard about that one? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so intimacy is where we share the deeper stuff, the more vulnerable stuff with each other. And, uh, and then we find out that with not only is this acquaintance friend that I'm committed to uh, uh, safe enough to share the stuff without going away, maybe they'll share some of that with me too. And that might take a little while to build, right? And then sex. 
how you know I do this in groups of men. I'm not getting as big a laugh out of the women in, the, in this uh, in this um, uh, studio right now as I do with the guys because they go, oh, how many of you have uh, like ever done anything similar to that order? And right. Not very many. And how many of you started at the end? You know, most of the hands go up because it's uh, you know we're. And what the point I'm making is if that's where your relationship started, you met somebody in a bar, you had sex that night, and now you're still together and you're wondering why it doesn't work, well, there's some work to do is the point. That's all I'm saying. It's not that it's the end of the world. You just have some friendship building (laughs) that needs to occur. And uh, I just use the dialogue model because it's uh, it's a specific thing that you can use. It takes it out of the philosophical, geez, I'd like to be doing better here and we could try to talk through it but it gives some structure yep. to healing each other and i think that's what a lot of relationships lack is the structure and the guidance and the education mm-hmm. on how to heal each other how to feel like you're heard mm-hmm. how to resolve conflict in a healthy way yeah and that's what it's exactly what it is it's it's uh it, and the dialogue model is used in a lot of different environments They're not just for couples there's like groups that do it for diversity diversity healing and uh, you know we're all running around the world uh in our wounds not hearing each other and longing to be heard and and validated yeah yeah it's like i, I got a little kid inside me that's just kind of look okay are they gonna listen anybody gonna listen we're all just looking to be heard yeah yeah and the the inner child stuff is so nauseating to me and everybody because it's so touchy-feely and psychobabbly and but for it's, it's an image of this little kid inside of us and we need to become friends with that part of us and because uh, you know my dad my old tough guy dad used to say you only got you're only going to have one real friend that you can try <laughs> like yourself mm-hmm. right there's he, he probably had some uh wounds you need to work through from that but uh the uh it's true we've got to love that little person and went and then when we're like feeling loved at that really vulnerable place, then we are in a much better shape to to really love without... Here, here's the other thing that we do in relationships. We're trying to get our, un, our unmet needs met with our partner. This little kid is saying, oh, love me, love me, love me. That's the song, all the songs of the 70s, yeah. right? And that's, <laughs> and that's really tying it back to your, to your childhood. Yeah, you guys are Let's all healed. You don't have those songs. It's mostly about... <laughs> I'm not even going to get started on. I can't even sing some of that stuff on this on this podcast. Well, <laughs> we'll save it for another day. Yeah. Uh, well, Bob, as always, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As this is a fully self-funded podcast, any love and support you can show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts would be so greatly appreciated. To connect and stay in the loop please follow along through Instagram on Well Well Podcast. Until next time.